mm-hmm. one of the things I always love about you, I played drums as a kid, but I was fascinated oh. with the bass. And one day I plan to pick up the bass. <clears throat> I love that you always play fingers and I feel like it's kind of a lost art form. So many people play with a pick nowadays. Well, let me show you my 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 box of picks. Ah, so you because, I mean, because on on stage I like to have that uh, connection. Oh There's wow! A box of picks in there, <laughs> so it's a, and I have my own signature picks too, but not not on stage. I mean, I did do one whole tour with White Snake in 1994, and I said, you know what, I'm going to play with a pick. And how'd it go? So I did. I got out of out of, out of my system. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask: Is there any like hidden track that is recorded with a pick that we wouldn't expect it to be from you? Hidden track? Well, not oh, hidden track, just, but like an album track. Uh, uh, just about everything that I play nowadays, I do it with a pick because there's um, uh, in the last thirty years the the tone, the guitar tones have become so aggressive mm. that we need to cut through. You know, I mean, I grew up playing James Jamerson inspired bass lines i mean i was never able to have his finesse you know but uh those tracks were cut with like very thin sounding guitars you know just like rhythm you know chunky yeah not these wall of marshals like <laughs> we have nowadays and then you add all of these pedals and then detuned you know which or sometimes to c detuning and c tuning so it's like wow it's you know, so anytime that I have to use any uh, any of those tunings, I gravitate towards a pick just to get some Cut definition of where, where the downbeat is. <laughs> Beautiful, man. Yeah. Well, one day, one day I'll, I'll have much more bass to talk with you once I start actually playing. But let's get into the show. Really cool that you guys are coming out to the Inland Empire, coming out to Highland, California, Rock and Brews inside Yamava Resort and Casino. And even cooler that you've teamed up with the band Autograph. They're going to be joining you on this show. Yeah, 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 it's going to be great. Uh, uh, what was really interesting is that even the uh, Choir Riot, I mean, I, I go back to 1978 when I first joined the band. We never really went outside of the L.A. County. Hmm. We might have done some shows close to uh, Orange County. Sure. You know, down there a little bit, you know, like where they had this thing called the Golden Ballroom down there but as far it was mostly la you know because in order to get out of the area you have to be a national recording artist sure and even though the band had two records in japan it meant nothing <laughs> locally you know we were just you know we might as well have a, re- a record deal on the on the moon <laughs> it doesn't mean anything you know but um so it wasn't until later on and the closest to y- yamaba that we ever played at least when I was still in the band, uh, was the US Festival. Oh yes, of course, of course. I mean, you finally get get out of LA County on that one, yeah. And then you played to a billion people, or however many people were there that day. <laughs> and a half, yeah, a million and a half, yeah. <laughs> did were you able to see anything, or did it really just look like ants? Well, you know, look. By the time that I did the US Festival, I had just been on tour with Ozzy, so I was used to you know playing for more than fifty people. You know? Right. So, so you know what happens is that when you're when you're playing for three hundred fifty thousand, it's like 
you know, according to your vision, like <laughs> I was, you know, now I have LASIKs, but back then I was much younger. That's 40 years ago. So my vision was pretty decent. But even with that, it's just, it's a blur. <laughs> and I, I, but I could see the, the porta potties to my right. <laughs> and I'm, and, if you're if you're thinking what is going through his mind while he's playing in front of three hundred fifty thousand people was my concern. What about if everybody decides to go to the bathroom at the same time? <laughs> Way more people than porta potties at that point. That's right. So you start doing the math. Okay, it's three hundred fifty thousand versus a uh, uh, hundred porta potties, and you start. Yeah, as you're playing, you're doing that. You know, that's what goes on. That's the calculations in your brain, not the next note or song. It's Who's going to go to the bathroom? Who's going to be not able to go to the bathroom? That's right. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. Uh, <laughs> you know, as far as the set list for you guys, imagine it's pretty much to the to the mental health yeah. and uh, condition critical albums, but do you guys spike in some other things? Is set list pretty much set or do you play around with it? Well, we actually, uh, on our headlining set list, includes a song that we released about a year ago. Um, there was the, it was it was the lost track with Kevin Dubrow and vocals. And, of course, Alex Grossi wrote it with Kevin, our guitar player, Alex. Yeah. He's been in the band for over 20 years now. And um, so what happened is we, um, Frankie, we have Frankie playing on it, Frankie Benali. And I added my, my bass track, and that was released about a year ago. And that's called Can't Hold On. I Can't Hold On. And uh, there's a video of it on YouTube, which uh, basically chronicles uh, uh, Frankie's fight with pancreatic cancer. Yeah. You know, and how it affected all of us. You know, uh, his wife, Regina, directed the video and she shot it. And and I, I'm in it, you know. As a matter of fact, there's a moment, a uh, capture that she captured when uh, when he asked me to come over and told me told me the news. Yeah, and she captured that moment. So it's it's, it's hard for me to watch, but then again, it's a beautiful reminder of, of a of a fifty almost fifty year old friendship that we had. You know, we started playing in nineteen seventy two together, Frankie and I, in Florida. Yeah, you so, know. If, that's one of the things I was going to ask you about the difference between, you know, playing with Frankie and playing with your drummer now, who's a beast in his own right, Johnny Kelly. I mean, both New Yorkers, but uh, did they did they play the same or, they, or, or I, I know Frankie used to always have massive kits and Johnny's a little bit more compact. But tell me about the difference in, in playing with those drummers. Those two. It's drummers. funny because, you know, I, I we talk about dates, you know, like they you know, like in some this happened in 1983, 84 and, and Johnny will go. I was nine years old, <laughs> but actually what, what it's saying is uh, that he's told us, you know, like the first record he ever bought and played to was actually the, uh, the metal health record mm. as a drummer, mm-hmm. as a drummer. And, uh, uh, Frankie picked him hand-picked to be him. The, his successor. Yeah. Handpicked him. He, he, uh, Frankie hand, handpicked, uh, Johnny, um, Jizzy Pearl, you know, from love, hate our singer. And uh, and Kevin handpicked Alex and groomed him in everything Quiet Riot. <laughs> so, yeah, Alex has been there but, forever. Yeah, he's been there for a while. Yeah, so by the time I, I rejoined the group, everybody was very much settled. And, you know, and uh, what can I say? Johnny, you know, he, he played with one of my favorite modern bands, uh, Typo Negative. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I'll never forget the day that Kevin brought the CD on the bus. 
and said, check this out. And we listened to it and go, wow, this is really cool. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah it, it, you know, Peter Steele always reminded me of if Lestat, the vampire, <laughs> was, was in a rock band. That's what he would sound like. <laughs> totally, totally. I even like what, like what uh, Johnny's doing now with his new band, I Am. Uh-huh. With Kurt yeah, I mean, him. you know, we yeah, we support each other um, because Jay Z also does some some shows as Love Hate, mm-hmm. his own version of it, and we support him. You know, yeah, definitely. Do you have anything cooking outside the band, or just Quiet Riot, hundred percent? No, just Quiet Riot. You know, I'm home, and you know, I've been here since 1978, and you know, on and off. I mean, the, the band ceased to exist when when Randy left to join Ozzy. Sure. And then it became Dubrow. And I used to play with Kevin in Dubrow. And I lived with him up until the day that I left to uh, to join Ozzy. Right. Thanks to Randy's recommendation. And then I came back after Randy passed away. You know, I, I, wanted to, I needed to be back with my, my choir riot consciousness. You know, it was... It was it was very interesting, interesting. And I can say this pretty much for about it, it, all the bands that I knew that came out of the Sunset Strip uh, at that time is that uh, the music is the only thing that mattered. It was all about the music, you know. And so there was a lot of musical integrity going on. Everybody really, really trying to outdo everybody with the quality of our performances and the music that we were creating. You know, I was, of course, going to bring up Randy. He's, he's sadly buried a few uh, miles from where you're going to be playing in, in uh, Highland, California. And wanted to learn a little bit more. Obviously, we all know about his playing and, and hear his brilliance. But I wanted to learn a little bit about Randy the man. Was he uh, a funny guy? Was he sarcastic? Did he have any hobbies outside of guitar? Did he just have a guitar in his hand 24-7? But talk about Randy because Randy Rhodes is the man. Yeah. Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> I, I Because I actually wrote a book about it. It's uh, Off the Rails. That's right. the name of the book. And, uh, well, if I can put it in a nutshell, and it's a pretty big nutshell, uh, Randy was the only musician I've ever worked with so far that comes from a um, academic, music academia family. Mm-hmm. His mom and dad, music professors, they open up a music school called Musonia, which is still out there in North Hollywood. So Randy was, that's all he knew, music. You know, so he started playing classical guitar when he was five, six years old. And then by the time he became a teenager, he went to hang out with kids his age, you know, <laughs> go to parties and not be that guy in the corner playing the classical guitar, you know. He wanted to rock. So that's when he started picking up the electric guitar. And um, and then he put together Quiet Riot just because he needed to, to have a band, you know. And uh, his 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 uh, childhood friend, um, Kelly Garney, became the bass player. He taught Kelly how to play bass. And then uh, they found Kevin Dubrow. Right. And then they, uh, they got Drew Forsythe. And then I joined the band in 1978. I got to tell you, every, ever since I, I, I met Randy and I, and I played with him in both in Choir Rider and Ozzy Osbourne, it's his musical integrity that has been the biggest example. And Randy was one of those musicians that led by example. You know, if you weren't, you know, we never told each other what to do in Choir Riot. You know, it was we respected each other, what we brought to the table that piece of the puzzle that we brought every time 
we we you know we wrote music and created something new or a performance or whatever it was you know it was um we were all very supportive of our of our creative freedom that we had you know it's funny and trying to remember old friends i had a friend that passed away recently and uh, one of the things that I find interesting to talk about old friends that we've lost is, you know, was there any any particular band or artist that Randy turned you on to or vice versa? Was there something that he was super into that you never understood that you're like, I just don't get it, man? Well, I mean, I have to respect all of that because, you know, uh since he was so musical, he was so musically advanced. I knew that he could hear things are either theoretically, you know, with music theory or harmony composition that I wasn't even, I couldn't even understand, but I would say one of them would be bebop deluxe. Hmm. Bill Nelson. He loved Bill Nelson. And of course, you know, they were, then, then we're talking about the other, the other guitar players were guitar players that we had in common. You know, uh, Leslie West, I just did a, a, a Music Cares event for uh, celebrating Leslie West last night. Right. You know, and uh, I I was so proud to have been asked to do that, especially because Randy was such a big fan of Leslie, you know. Mm. And, uh, and, of course, you know, Johnny Winters, another great inspiration for him. You know, just basically the same guitar player, guitar heroes that we had in the 70s. We share that. Yeah. And speaking of Quiet Riot, just to put a button on it, are you thinking about new music with the band or just kind of going to leave the We're music? We're always thinking about new music, but here's the uh, the conundrum. Uh, there's certain songs that the fans expect. Sure. To hear. And we throw in, you know, we want to celebrate the legacy of, of our members. So we, we th- during a headline set, we throw in the uh, uh, Blackout in the Red Room from Love Hate for Jizzy. Uh, we do a, l- a little bit of uh, black number one from oh, nice. uh, typo negative, nice. you know, just just enough, you know, to acknowledge it, and, and you know, and uh, so having said that, our set it's really packed with songs. I mean, and if we remove one, you're gonna get that nasty <laughs> message on social media. Hey, I paid all this money because I want to hear that song, right? And, I, and so you know, you just you just so we stick to. We want to please the, the, our audience because, you know, they've been supporting us all these decades and we want to give them what they want to hear. So to actually start pulling out songs to include new music. Right. It's, 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 it's a tough decision. Totally, totally understand, but figured it was worth asking. Wanted to touch upon uh, the other band, and you had mentioned it too, White Snake. Uh, wanted to dig into the album that you did, Slip of the Tongue. Interestingly enough, and just a fun little anecdote, uh, my wedding song, one of my wedding songs was The Deeper the Love that you played on. Deeper the Love. Yeah. yeah. I mean, great song. It, it's not the first one you think of White Snake, you think, you know, Still the Night and all the heavy ones, but that one is 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 my uh, m- my love. That Any any <clears throat> memories of writing or recording that song? Um, it was interesting because it was David's tip of the hat to R&B. Hmm. It was being as R&B that, you know, he grew up with R&B and blues. He's, he's, he's really a blues singer, you know. And uh, so it was his approach of like, okay, I'm going to, in this record, you know, he, he originally he wrote, it's this love for Tina Turner. Oh, wow. Speaking of R&B. Yeah. So his ballads have become more of that, 
sensuous R&B type of vibe to them, you know. And so here we have uh, the deeper the love. It's pretty much the same thing. The kind of so we, we have to approach it. We have to like say, okay, let's take off this the heavy metal hat or <laughs> you know hard rock blues, and let's go back to our roots of Motown. Yeah, let's go back to that. You know, which is what what I did on that song. I mean, I, I wasn't trying to play like James Jamerson, but definitely you know give it more room and let it pump and breathe a little bit. You know in that direction rather than more in your face yeah. type of metal. Yeah. I mean, it, it's certainly a brilliant album. I mean, Fool for Your Loving, that new version, Now You're Gone, the title mm. track. And mm. curious too about that time, because you had played with the prior lineup, toured on the 87 record, and mm. then Steve Vai comes in in 89. Was that a big transition? Personally, for me, it was a welcome transition. I love Vivian, but if Vivian was not going to be there, I, I couldn't think of a better person to come in than than Steve Vai. I learned so much from him, and uh, yeah, see, I like to learn from 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 the people I play with. They always have something to teach me. And speaking of of that band, what the heck is up with Tommy Aldrich? I feel like he he's another legend that we never hear from. He, he's always like mm. in the shadows. Do you keep in touch with him? Yeah. Uh, yeah, whenever we, we run into each other. I mean, we have a lot of bandmates that, you know, we're, we're getting a little bit more settled and we don't go out as much. Sure. And we're just because we spend so much time on the road. <laughs> so when you're home, you know, you're home. Yeah, why? Yeah. I mean, and I, I live in, in Southern California, so I'll, I'll be driving to Yamaha, <laughs> right. but usually... <laughs> It's, you know, three o'clock lobby call and, you know, get on the plane and get to the gig, you know? Sure. So, um, so it's, yeah, I, I, listen, I love everybody and, and I'm in the best terms with everybody I, I play with. Yeah. Last thing I got for you, Rudy, appreciate all the time, but we're an old school radio station. We do a feature called Mandatory Metallica, which you're going to be a part of. And kind of curious, Whoa. I mean, you, you've had to interact and shared the stage with those guys over the years. Any, any Metallica stories? No, not really. But I, you know, Cliff, he was such a great bass player, you yeah. know, uh, really, I think he, he really influenced a whole new generation of basses, you know, especially coming out of the eighties. So that was, that's a guy that stood out for me. Big time. Because I'm a bass player, you know, sure. so, you know, so. <laughs> I mean, that whole bass solo, the pulling teeth anesthesia thing that he did and yeah. making that bass yeah. all distorted and almost sounded like yeah. a guitar at that point. Yeah, yeah, and and I grew up being being inspired by bases like that. Let's say Geezer Butler, you know, sure. or Chris Squire, Tim Bogard, you know, guys that went outside of the box. And then again, I grew up in Miami, so Jacko was like our local hero, you know, <laughs> Jacko Pastorius. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it, it was like, yeah, I've always, I've I've been very blessed that I've had access to listen to tremendous, beautiful bass players. Yeah, Cliff. Cliff's certainly a legend, and, and certainly uh, took it to a whole nother level with with his playing and the tapping and everything that he yeah. did. Do you just to put a button on it? Do you have a favorite Metallica song we could play for you on Mandatory Metallica? Anything come to mind? Yeah, Orion. Perfect. Yeah, the, yeah. talking about bass. I mean, that that song yeah. is just perfect and all Cliff Burton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. We'll rock that one for you, Rudy. 
Dude, you absolutely rock. Thank you so much for checking out the entire interview. Now just hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, Radioactive Mike Z. My interviews in their entirety. Available on all the major platforms. Tune in, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you're listening to right now. Just hit the subscribe button. Make sure to give me a follow on the socials as well. I'll follow you back at MikeZ967. And bro, don't miss the radio show. Now 10 p.m to midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in the Southern California Inland Empire area, Riverside, San Bernardino County. Always streaming online at kcalfm.com. You, my friend, absolutely rock.